titled the message, In Christmas Collides. Strange message, perhaps, or title for a message. But if you listen up and pay attention, you'll see what it's all about by the time we get to the end. When I was thinking about collisions, we're going to be talking about them this morning, I thought about 1973, I had a collision. My boss entrusted to me his dear wife to take to a doctor's appointment. He said, she's up in age, you better take care of her. I said, yes, sir. Well, she was not only up in age, but she was a a little bit frail, a little bit feeble, if I might add. And on Sam Rittenberg Avenue, a car ran into me with her. She was in the back seat. And it wasn't my fault. Maybe it wasn't anybody's fault, but there was a clash, a a collision. And all I remember her saying after I checked her and nobody was hurt, she said, that was fun. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, tell your husband that. Tell your husband that. And then in 1974, I was working for another company. And the boss gave me the keys to his brand new 1973 Chevrolet Impala with the bells and whistles. He said, go pick up lunch for everybody. Yes, sir. I'm no more than a half a mile away from where I worked. And a car sideswipes me in the boss's brand new car. I said, he'll never believe me if I tell him this. So I took off after the car that sideswiped me. Well, a bunch of blue lights are following me as I follow the car who sideswiped me. I said, I I don't, good, I don't know what's going on here. So I pull over, the car in front of me who sideswipes me pulls over, police pull behind me for the side of me, in front of the other car, they get out with their guns drawn. I kid you not. Well, what happened was, lo and behold, the guy they were after was running from them. I just happened to get in the way. But I wouldn't leave until the police officer gave me an accident report saying it wasn't my fault. So I can remember collisions, and maybe you can as well. Well, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we're going to see some collisions this morning. Because as we all know, life can be full of collisions. Some of them literal, like I just spoke to you. Some of them figurative. But whenever you have a collision or a crash, there's always a sense of interruption. And there's always a sense of fright. There's always going to be something that will change. Sometimes temporary, sometimes forever. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was made flesh. He became a human being. He came to live in our neighborhood, to be with us, to dwell among us. And we saw Him, and we saw Him in His glory. 
he had the glory of God his Father, for he was the only begotten of the Father. And the Lord Jesus was full, full of grace, and he was full of truth. Christmas is four weeks away. And we're going to be looking at the first family of the first Christmas this morning. Because I'd like to submit to you that first Christmas, the first family of the first Christmas, there was a collision that was going to take place. And from that main collision, there would come other collisions. There would be a chain reaction of collisions that would forever change the life of Joseph and Mary and forever change the life of you and I. Now let's look at that first Christmas for just a moment, the particulars of what's going on. Joseph and Mary are a young couple, and they're preparing for marriage. They're preparing for their wedding. There's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of excitement in the air concerning this coming event. Weddings are big deals, aren't they? It was a big deal now, and it's a big deal then. Joseph and Mary, all the announcements have been made. It's been published in the newspaper. All of the invitations have been sent. Everybody on the list has received an invitation. Mark this date down. Mark this time down. Come to so-and-so church for this big event. The wedding party has been chosen. The wedding attire has been selected. The photographer, the, the caterer, the florist, the, the planner, they're all on board. Everything is good to go. It seems like there's going to be smooth driving, smooth sailing to the wedding. And then all of a sudden, a crash comes out of nowhere. A collision is going to occur out of nowhere. The crash and the collision are going to be sparked by a visitation to Mary and Joseph by an archangel by the name of Gabriel. The Bible doesn't say a lot about archangels, but we know they're the mightiest angels in heaven. We know that the devil was an archangel. He was responsible for music. He led the great worship of God in heaven before his fall. We know that Michael is an archangel. He's the commander-in-chief angel of the angelic army. And we know that Gabriel is an archangel. Whenever God has a message to give, he sends Gabriel with it. And Gabriel makes an appearance to Mary and then later to Joseph. And he collides and crashes into their lives. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Gabriel came to a virgin who was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph 
Joseph was of the house of David, and the virgin's name, his, his fiancée, was Mary. And Gabriel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. And when Mary saw Gabriel, she was troubled at what he said. She wondered in her mind what manner of, of speaking this should be. Gabriel continued to speak to her, verse 30. He said, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will name your son Jesus. Your son Jesus shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, I don't understand this. How can this be, seeing I have not been with the man? And Gabriel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you, he shall be the Son of God. Now if you listened while I read, you heard not just my words, but you heard a crash. Not only did you hear the crash, you saw the collision. Joseph and Mary riding down the smooth streets of life and faith all of a sudden find themselves, boom, in a wreck. And they're scattered all over the highway in bits and pieces. You see, when we read Bible stories, we have the, the privilege, if you will, of knowing the whole story. We know all the details because we have it all in our hand. But they didn't. So when Gabriel comes to Mary, who's planning to get married to the man she loves, who has all of these wedding arrangements in place, this is stunning to her. She's dazed. She confu she's confused. Is this a dream? Is this real? Did I hear correctly? Am I imagining all of this? And the same thing with Joseph. When the angel comes to Joseph, he, he's confused, he's dazed, he's stunned. <laughs> Is this real? You see, we, we read the whole story, but they didn't have all of that back then. So imagine now. This is your big wedding day, ladies. Everything's planned. Everything's in place. Gentlemen, this is your big wedding day. You've got your bride you, you're coming. You love her. You're looking forward to having a life with her. And now all of a sudden, boom, there's a wreck. Mary's told she's pregnant. And the shame that comes with it in that day. Joseph is not the father, and he is absolutely overwhelmed. The parents who have planned this wedding with their daughter and their son on both sides are outraged. 
The family's embarrassed. People are gossiping. The priests have even been called in to examine the situation because Mary has been immoral. And, and that's a sin punishable by death in that day. The wedding has been canceled. Can you imagine all that? Two people just moving through life's highway with not a care in the world, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a wreck, and everything changes. Now, we all know, because we got the Bible, that God was in it. Do you think everybody else knew God was in it then? No. We all know that God is going to be glorified in it. We all know that ultimately this will be what's best for Joseph and Mary. But they didn't know all of that then. There was a collision that would forever change Joseph and Mary's life. Now you might be wondering to yourself, Pastor, what's that got to do with the verse we just read? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Because I told you this is the big collision that affects Joseph and Mary. But out of the big collision will come three little collisions that will affect every single person after that, including you and me here today. I want us to see the first of these three. If you'll look in your Bible now, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Joseph and Mary collide upon the news of Gabriel that she will be pregnant before marriage, that the marriage will have to be delayed until the baby is born. There will be no activity until the baby is born. But out of that collision comes another collision. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. May I submit to you there was now going to be a collision of humanity and deity together. God became a man. Think about that. God became a man. Humanity and deity were about to come together as never before and never since. There's a lot of religions in our world. We saw a lot of religions when we went to Israel. Our world is full of religions. And just about every religion in our world teaches that man, if he's good enough and does enough good things, if he believes this and says this and does this, that man can one day evolve into a god, new ageism, and live in heaven wherever heaven may be. Just about every religion in the world teaches that in some way, shape, or form. Man becomes God and lives in heaven, wherever heaven may be. Christianity is uniquely different 
than all other religions in the world. In fact, may I submit to you, Christianity is not a religion at all. It's a relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But Christianity does not teach man becomes a God and goes to heaven. Christianity teaches that God became a man and came to earth. And that's what happened in that first Christmas. From Joseph and Mary's collision with the angel Gabriel and the announcement that he brought to them, out of that came the birth of Jesus. Jesus Christ was not a 100% person. He was a 200% person. There has never been any other person like him. He was 100% God because he was the second member of the Holy Trinity. He was 100% man. He had a human body. He was a human being. 100% humanity, 100% deity colliding together into one person. Deity took on diapers. The Son of God became the Son of Man. God who is spirit became God who is flesh. The Creator became a creation. In Jesus, there was a collision between humanity and deity. And it was all wrapped up in one person. I want you to see another phrase. This is interesting. It says, the Word was made flesh. Deity and humanity now crash together, collide together in the person of Jesus. And then it says, notice in your Bible, it says, He dwelt among us. That phrase, dwelt among us, is an interesting phrase. It, it actually comes from a Greek word that we use for tabernacle. The Word was made flesh. Jesus became a man. The God became a man. And He tabernacled with us. In other words, He moved into our neighborhood. You know, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a church on wheels. The, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were a nomadic people at that time. They drove their stakes lightly because at any given time, the stakes that they drove in the ground, they would pull back up. Every week, every two months, every six months, they would just move. And when they moved, they always carried their church with them. And their church in that day was called the tabernacle. Now, three things took place in this portable church they call the tabernacle, which they brought with them and took with them everywhere they went. The first thing that took place was God lived in the tabernacle. God is everywhere, but God made His presence known to His people in the tabernacle. When the Israelites wanted to meet God, they came to the tabernacle. God was in the tabernacle. They would also, when they went to the tabernacle, not only would they meet God there, but they would have a relationship with God through the tabernacle. 
It wasn't just a meeting place, but it was a relationship-building place. They would also bring their sacrifices to the tabernacle. They would bring their animals, and the priests would sacrifice those animals and shed the blood of those animals for the temporary atonement for the sins of man. That's what the tabernacle was all about. God lived there. The people met God there. They built a relationship with God there. They brought their sacrifices to God there that they could be forgiven temporarily of their sins. And John says to us that Jesus, Jesus, out of the collision of Joseph and Mary with Gabriel's message, Jesus, God, became man. And Jesus, the God-man, was a tabernacle. He was a living tabernacle. Think about it. He was God. God no longer was in a tent. God was no longer going to be in a temple one day. God was going to be in a body, and the body of His Son. And now He's in the body of you and I who put our faith in His Son as our Savior. Jesus was God. But not only was Jesus God, Jesus became the way that men could meet God and know God. There's only one mediator and connector between God and man who brings God and man together. The God-man, Christ Jesus, says the Scriptures. Because Jesus is God, he can take the hand of the Father and bring it down. Because Jesus is man, he can take the hand of man and bring it up. Do you understand that in Jesus, God and man come together? God and man, so separated, come together in him. He connects us. And then he also is the sacrifice. Remember in the tabernacle you brought your sacrifice for the temporary atonement of sin. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, there would be permanent atonement for sin. Jesus would do what no animal could ever do. He would shed His blood and He would die that our sins could be forgiven once and for all and forever. When He said, it is finished, what was He speaking of? There will be no more animal sacrifice. There will be no more sacrifice, period. I'm covering it all right now. Jesus came into our neighborhood. He tabernacled with us. He was God, He became man, and He lives with us. I was trying to grasp an illustration, maybe, how to explain it. I like to visualize something that helps me better comprehend it. And I was thinking about, suppose one of my little grand boys who are very good little guys. <laughs> That's granddaddy's talk. But suppose one of them was bad. And suppose because one of them was bad, or maybe both of them were bad, who knows. Jamie or Amanda put them in the playpen. Put them in their bed. Put it, That's kind of their time out. That's kind of their punishment for being bad. And suppose I come over to the house and I don't know that they've been bad. 
And I don't know why they're in the playpen or in their crib. And, and I hear them crying, so I go into the room and I give them out. And I pat them on the back because I don't like to hear them crying and I didn't like where they were at. And Jamie and Amanda come in. Dad, what in the world are you doing? I'm getting them out. You're not supposed to get them out, Dad. They're in there because they were bad. Put them back. <laughs> and they start crying again. And Jamie and Amanda leave the room. I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I don't want to disrespect Jamie and Amanda. They're my children. I got, I, I, this is their rules. But hey, I'm granddaddy. And they're crying. I got to do something. Ah. I think I'm going to tabernacle with them. I'm not going to take them out of the playpen. They have to be there. I'll climb into the playpen with them. Those bad little boys will have granddaddy with them now. I'm going to move into their neighborhood. I'm going to go where they're at. Because they can't right now come to me. Do you understand that's what Jesus did? We were in the playpen. We were in the crib because we've been bad. And Jesus said, I'll just come and I'll join you. I'll come and join you that one day you can join me. There was a collision that first Christmas between deity and humanity, and it collided and gave us Jesus. But then there was a second collision that came out of the collision of Joseph and Mary. Not only was there a collision between humanity and deity, Jesus became a man, God became a man. But I want you to see also in verse 14, there was a collision of grace and truth. It says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And this one that was the Word who dwelt among us was full of grace and full of truth. That word full means the cup was overflowing. When we think of full, we think of a glass that's full to the brim. That word doesn't mean that. It means a glass that's not just full to the brim, but it's running over. It's continually running over. This one called Jesus was a collision, a, an overflow of grace and truth coming together as nobody has ever seen it before. Now think with me, pay attention. What is grace? Grace is when somebody gives you something or does something for you out of kindness that you don't deserve. That's grace. Somebody gives you something or does something for you that you do not deserve. I do not deserve. They just do it because they love us. Jesus came and he was full of grace. He gave to you and I what we do not deserve because He loves us. No strings attached, no conditions, no limits, no boundaries. 
I love you. I want to give you this. I want to do this for you. Just tell me thank you because you can never repay me. And for three and a half years, Jesus, who was God in a human being, showed grace. He showed grace to a leper who didn't deserve it and cleansed the leper. He showed grace to a mute who couldn't talk and he gave them their speech. He showed grace to someone who was deaf and gave them their hearing that they could hear. He showed grace to a blind man who couldn't see and gave him his sight. He showed grace to those that were hungry and thirsty and he gave them food and he gave them water. He showed grace to someone who was sick by giving them their health. He showed grace to those who grieved over the loss of loved ones by raising their loved ones from the dead. He showed grace for those that were demon-possessed by casting out the demons. He showed grace to sinners by forgiving their sin. Everywhere Jesus went, he showed grace. But not only grace, he coupled it. A collision, remember? In order to have a collision, you've got to have two things coming together. Boom! Truth came with it. The Bible says he was full of grace and he was full of truth. What is truth? Truth is fact. Truth is reality. Truth is precise. Truth is exact. Truth doesn't double speak. Truth doesn't beat around the bush. Truth doesn't mince words. Truth isn't two-faced. It says one thing on the left side and another on the right. Jesus came as a man of truth. And what he told us, we didn't want to hear. The rabbis wouldn't tell the people this. The priests wouldn't tell the people this. Evangelists don't tell the people this. And preachers today don't tell the people this. But Jesus did. The one who came to give us grace also had the ability to tell us truth. He told us that we're sinners. I know you're not supposed to tell people that, but it's the truth. He told us that we're spiritually dead. We're zombies. We're spiritually dead when it comes to the things of God. He told us that we're hellbound. We're not going to heaven in this state. We're going to hell. We're doomed. He told us that we cannot save ourselves. We can be good. We can go to church. We can have religion. But we cannot save ourselves. He told us that we have no hope. He told them that. It wasn't a popular message, but that's what he told the people. Jesus came and he showed us how to do ministry. You tell people the truth and then you love them as they are and you minister to them as they are. We have a lot of people who are wonderful at doing good things for people, but they never tell them the truth. Modern day church. We have a lot of people who are good at telling people the truth, but they do absolutely nothing to help them. Modern day church. Jesus came as a man full of grace. I love you. I'm going to do this for you. 
but I also want you to know who you are and what you, where you're going and what you need to do. Thirdly, in Jesus, not only do we see a collision of humanity and deity, God becomes a man. Not only do we see a collision of grace and truth, this is the truth, but let me show you also the love that goes with it through grace. But lastly, in verse 14, we see the third collision. Now remember, all of this is coming out of the big collision. Joseph and Mary and God's announcement to them through Gabriel, boom, that turned their world upside down. And now all of these other little collisions are turning people's world upside down too. And the third collision, and the last one is a collision of self and the Savior. Notice in verse 14 it says, We beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Pastor, what does that mean? <laughs> Let me tell you simply. It means when we see Jesus, we see God. Pastor, what does God look like? He looks like Jesus. What does God sound like? He sounds like Jesus. What does God act like? He acts like Jesus. What does God feel like? He feels like Jesus. Jesus is not a close replica of His Father. He is His Father. Everything the Father is, Jesus is. Everything Jesus is, the Father is. One is the first member of the Holy Trinity. The second is the second member. When you see Jesus, you are seeing God. When you hear the words of Jesus, you're hearing the words of God. When He dis displayed His miracles and showed His grace and His mercy, the people were seeing the actions of God Himself. Sometimes when people see our children, they will say, you look just like your mother. You look just like your father. And our children are often close in how they look like us. But Jesus wasn't close to God. He was God. And that's what John is saying. There was a collision that day between what we thought God is and what He is between self and the Savior. Are you catching on there's some collisions taking place? Joseph and Mary's life turns upside down as they collide with Gabriel and the message he brought to them that would forever change their life. May I suggest that those collisions that followed that can change our life too forever. Because in these three collisions, we're brought to making a decision. You see, we had a collision of revelation. God became a man in Jesus. We have a collision of examination. God tells me who I am, that's truth. And God wants to do something for me in my condition. That's grace. And then we have a collision of determination. Jesus is God. And God is Jesus. 
Will you believe it? And if you believe it, what are you going to do with it? Maybe today we need to have another collision take place in your life, maybe mine. In closing, people always ask, when you go to Israel, what's your favorite thing you saw? Well, having been numerous times, there's always something different that you'll see that will have a profound impact on you. And on this trip, there, there was many things, but we went to Caesarea Philippi and had the opportunity to stand over the prison where they housed Paul for preaching the gospel. You remember Paul was arrested and the, the Roman authorities and the religious leaders put him in what's called the hole. And they kept him there because he told people about Jesus and they didn't want to hear it. Well, there came a time when they moved Paul out of the hole, which we stood right over the hole, and they moved him over to a building that was about 100 feet or so to our left. And in that building, there would be three rulers that day. And these three rulers, according to the book of Acts, would interrogate Paul. And Paul would share Jesus with them. We were there right there. Paul was in the prison that was beneath our very feet. And 100 feet to the side, to the left, you could actually walk over to the building that was not much bigger than this platform well, the greatest Christian man who ever lived shared the gospel with three rulers that day. He talked to Felix. He told Felix that Jesus loved him and Jesus died for him and Jesus is alive and wants to come into his life. And Felix listened and said, Paul, I think you need to go away. I don't have time for all of this. I'm a busy man. I'm a big shot. I've got people to see. I've got places to go. I've got things to do. Maybe I can bring you back when I'm less busy and we can talk more. But I'm too busy right now for this nonsense. And he walked away. In that same building, there would become another ruler, probably in the same day, by the name of Festus. Festus was a brilliant man, highly educated in the things of the world, probably had a Ph.D. in it. But while his mind was full of the things of the world, his heart was empty of the things of God. A Ph.D. in the world and a moron when it came to spiritual things. And Paul witnessed to Festus. He said, Festus, you need to give your life to Jesus. Festus, you're a sinner. You're separated from God, but God loves you. Christ died for you. Give your life to Him. And Festus said, I can't understand your babble. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. When I can figure it out, I'll call for you. Not interested. 